Namaste. So we proceed now with writings of Shurbindo uh, on the synthesis of yoga, and we are on the yoga of integral knowledge. So one of the problems that happens in any uh, spiritual teaching vis-a-vis human understanding, because we use words to communicate, and uh, our words are necessarily. Uh, carry their meaning in our head in a certain sense. For example, if we were asked, where we were to ask a chimpanzee, what does knowledge mean? So his understanding would be limited to his world and his experiences. Um, knowledge for him would be a highest utility, which makes him uh, the best. Uh, maybe the ape, because he's not having anything higher seeking. If you ask. Um, you know person who is dealing with physical objects what really knowledge means is the same thing with the word perfection people use this word for example physically how you have kept things and it all this is knowledge not that it is not a knowledge uh, but this is not the object of knowledge the object of knowledge in spiritual terms is to arrive at that ultimate source from which all knowledge proceeds so we can take an example <clears throat> that Whatever we see in this world is because of ultimately sight. Sight itself is activated by the um, photons, which information packets which come inside. The sight delineates the forms, and we see it again. The sight needs light again to see objects. So, in that light, we see and understand things. This is one kind of knowledge. But spiritual knowledge means I want to go to the sun, the very source. So, there is a big difference. There is a light which illumines our intelligence and with that intelligence we try to understand this world, see things, conceive of them and uh, have some kind of a working knowledge about uh, each and every object. But uh, spiritual knowledge means I go to this very um, light of which, light of intelligence, uh, which of which all our limited intelligence and multiple functionings of intelligence is born. So this is the spiritual knowledge where we climb up to the very source. Uh, another way to put it, it is that if we were to dig deeper and deeper into anything and everything, there must be one final penultimate reality. Uh, we may use the word stable basis of all things, ultimate reality. So knowledge in spiritual terms also means to discover that ultimate reality. So this knowledge is traditionally to differentiate between the knowledge that is operative here and the knowledge which is spiritual knowledge. This is a distinction made between higher knowledge and lower knowledge or vidya and avidya. There are different ways of putting it across. So para and apara. So lower knowledge deals with all this intellectual understanding. Uh, many times we will also hear the word vyavarik. This was this born from Shankaracharya's, you know, he says that in that higher truth, it is an illusion. But you can't operate like that. So while we are laboring in ignorance, we have to use a vyavarik, a practical knowledge. Vyavarik is not really practical, but a knowledge as it is operating within this uh, bubble, which we call as the universe. And it has its own utility, uh, but ultimately we have to arrive at that higher truth. And when we arrive at that higher truth, we discover that all this was a play of forms and names which are actually an illusion. Now it's very appealing in many ways, you know, because uh, at one level it is true that both experience confirms and uh, logically also that if you enter into the source, 
then it is true that all these forms and names which were nothing but certain conditions in which we are seeing will vanish. It's almost like uh, we as human beings uh, play certain roles. We play the role of a father, a teacher, a husband or wife or mother and so many other roles or, or in different professions. But there is a moment when we are completely withdrawn from all that. And in that moment, who am I? I am none of these things. So all this becomes a kind of practical convenience which connects something deep within me to this world. But actually when we start analyzing it, then we see actually there is a complete disconnect. Because this awareness has very little to do with my actual operations. Let's say in the field of medicine, in the field of teaching. Am I really this self expressing itself? Or it is simply... There is a disconnect between the two and it is from this understanding that we see a gulf has arisen in Indian thought, in fact in mystic thought uh, uh, everywhere, between this world and the other world. But Sri reminds us, and accordingly the path of knowledge has traced itself. So the typical path of knowledge is neti neti, not this, not this. So in that path, what do we do? We simply say, I am not this physical body, not just say, but... Every time the impact of the physical body, something like uh, heat, cold, anger or different kinds of you know, hunger, the, all these things come, impact, thirst, we separate ourselves and say, I am not this. So even when we use these things, still we know that I am not identified with it. Illness, typical example is illness. So when somebody is ill, we don't take it that I am ill. We take it that the body is ill. And, well, I can still remain free from it, detached from it, and remain in my state of inner peace and bliss. So this is how we see that the separation starts. Similarly with anger, desires, fears, frustrations. So again we separate and say, I am not this struggling creature. It's there, I can observe it, but I am not this. So one separates from all this. And while at one level on the surface consciousness this movement is going on, at another level we begin to gain more and more freedom from this surface movement. And ultimately, because there is no sanction to it, it drops off. Similarly, identification with the ego self. So we have so many experiences in real life where the ego self is hit. For instance, ego self is not just about a name and degree qualification or job that we are doing. Ego self is hit by people all around. Somebody who, who may suddenly end up saying, you are a fool. And uh, well, that may well be a compliment because uh, a foolish person is ready to learn if he knows he is foolish. But a person who doesn't know he is foolish is stuck in his foolishness. So, I'm, I'm worst who believes that he is intelligent. So nevertheless, it, it hits or there is an opinion contrary to your own opinion, your own way of life. So every time this happens, we have to say, I am not this, I am not this. Uh, <coughs> this way, one uncovers or discovers the true self. So this true self which is unchanging. It doesn't change with time from morning till evening, evening to morning. It doesn't go through all the flux and flow, but remains stable all the time. And when we begin to live in it, then it is said that we have arrived at the status of knowledge. So we have these two chapters, the object of knowledge. So object of knowledge, <laughs> when we speak of spiritual life, is the spiritual self, the divine self, the one self, the stable self, which is behind all this play of nature. And its status, traditionally it is concerned that it is, um, when we are rooted in it, 
when we are unaffected by anything, any turbulences and troubles of the world, that's how Sri Krishna describes in the Gita about the sthit pragya. Then we have arrived at that knowledge. But because it's an integral yoga, and Shubhendra uses the term integral knowledge. So therefore, any knowledge which arrives at um, a high, even a higher status of self, but cutting itself from the world cannot be an integral knowledge by its very definition. So then, here the the knowledge that Shubhendra speaks of has to be understood in another way. So there is, of course, the highest self. But discovering the highest self is not enough. One has to also see how that highest self is expressing and manifesting itself or himself or herself in this universe. So there comes this other aspect of the one self, but also how he is manifesting, it is manifesting in this mutable becoming. So we have these two statuses of knowledge, the mutable and the immutable. But Shubhendra speaks of something still greater and that is uh, directly in line with the Gita of the Purushottama. So all these are aspects, all the aspects of the one self uh, are included in the yoga of integral knowledge. So what are these aspects? Quickly we may see, one is discovering the divine within, the individual self which is, uh, you know, inside, hidden inside the heart, the creator. This is, uh, when we discover it, we have discovered we can say that we are in um, the person is a knower, knower of the one reality. But then one has to also discover that oneself in all beings and creatures. So uh, by that discovery, we discover our essential unity with all existence. The one self within us is the same as the universal self. So this is the second discovery. And then we have to discover not only the individual self within with a capital S, not only the universal self with a capital S, but that from which both have emerged, that which transcends them, the transcendent self. So these are the three levels or three modes of operation of the one self that we have to discover. We have to also discover the same one as a personal qualified or quality is the more correct word. This is a word which doesn't have a dictionary meaning. But Shubhinda has used the word. Basically it means Sagun Brahm. So the one with qualities. At the same time the one which is without any feature, without any qualities. And instead of positing them as one uh, vis-a-vis another, we have to discover that unity. Because everything in its at a certain level is impersonal. All forces are impersonal. But they take a personal you. So we have love which is an impersonal universal force. But love takes many shades in different creatures. So at once the quality and the quality less, without any qualities, they are one and the same. So Nirgun and Sagun. Sri Ramakrishna had discovered this and he speaks of it in this way that if, if you take a, a stick from one side and pass it through um, and there is nothing, you call it as, you know, non-quality or quality less but you take the same stick and pass it through the other side you see the divine expressing himself to multiple qualities so it depends on the angle of approach but in this yoga both have to be united then comes a third level at which we have to arrive at knowledge that on one side we speak about Satchidanand who is one so the typical traditional path of knowledge discovers the one existent so, Sachidanand, but putting that existence in the forefront. So, discover the one Purusha, the soul existent. But what about Sachidanand in his conscious force? Sachidanand as 
tapas sachidananda is ananda all these are aspects of sachidananda so in this yoga we we approach not only through the mind toward that one existence but also through the heart because the heart can discover the divine is ananda and the will can discover the divine as conscious force that is operating in existence so the entire sachidananda that's how we understand the yoga of the gita which is called as trimarg so it is so that we can discover the divine in its completeness those who take only the root of the mind suppress the heart they ultimately say works are only temporarily necessary and they can be dropped off so this uh, antagonism has to go in this yoga we discover the divine in all his fullness and completeness then there are all other aspects of the divine which we regard as this deity or that deity even they have to be discovered they are part of the integral knowledge and finally the divine in the manifestation so this is something which again we see in traditional yoga of knowledge there is a division made between the manifestation and that which is unmanifest and we can take an example here that uh, it is true that in a certain sense uh, the mahabharata and vyas are two distinct uh, realities but it is also true that mahabharata without vyas has no meaning so in a sense mahabharata is an extension of vyas not only an extension of vyas vyas is everywhere in the mahabharata whether when he describes bhim something of his aspect is there in bhim something of his aspect is there in even in duryodhana something of his aspect is there he puts into all the characters in the story and its grand culmination so it is vyas who has become all this mahabharata and yet vyas remains separate and distinct so one has to uh, discover this entire manifestation as a progressive unfolding of the one sachidananda so that's where we have vidya and avidya and so this entirety of knowledge as it operates in each and every element of creation is part of that integral knowledge that shubindu is speaking of so it's very different from the way it is traditionally conceived as niti niti and uh, just uh, leaving the world and that's that's why the method is very different first we have to discover no doubt that one self which is untouched by the world but at the same time having discovered that we have to come back and discover his operations and functioning in each and every one so uh, shubhendra there is a beautiful chapter about cosmic consciousness so he says then you don't see that experience that individuals go through as uh, sorrow and happiness um, or bitterness and anger those things are gone why because in the cosmic consciousness you start seeing each one as an aspect of the one self with the covering of ignorance so the only distinction you make is sachidanand who is covered with ignorance and sachidanand who is revealed who is freed from ignorance so that's the only distinction we make between human beings but ego doesn't operate like that for ego there are separate distinct beings so that person he harmed me that person he hurt me that person was uh, rude to me this person was very kind to me so this is the ego's operating system but in cosmic consciousness one doesn't see like that and then cosmic consciousness moves towards oneness one sees the one divine either hidden or revealed and in different degrees of self manifestation and then the role also changes because in when the ego is the operating system then our role is it's given to man given to every creature to somehow preserve oneself 
because he is still in the stage of forming his individuality. So he has to take the struggles and challenges to affirm his ego. But when the cosmic consciousness begins to operate, then it is not um, affirming the ego self that is important, but to realize the divine will in this creation that becomes important, whether in the individual or in other creatures. So this is the entire um, truth that is revealed through the yoga of integral knowledge. And for that, the first thing that Shirobindo asks us to do is uh, to purify our understanding. Uh, this uh, several places he will, uh, you know, bring out. And by understanding, there are two things which are meant by understanding. One is ordinarily what is called as rational, calm, rational, impersonal outlook on things. Meaning thereby, <clears throat> I am not misled by emotions, by preferences, by desires, by attachments. Because if I am moved by them, even by ideas and opinions of mind, if I am moved by them, then I will never understand anything. So understanding implies three things, perception, judgment and discernment. So now you see when people say, don't be judgmental, how dangerous it can be. You are basically clogging the understanding. Now, not being judgmental is right, but that comes from a, the higher divine non-judgmental is that the divine sees things as they are and helps it to uh, emerge from its darkness. But that other kind of hodgepodge non-judgmental, that all is same, all is one, can be just the very opposite. It, it confuses us. So first thing is to extricate this understanding. Uh, which which uh, in, in normal human being is through the reason from all its mixtures. And it is known that, for example, we have these news feed and WhatsApp messages. Now, things which you like to hear, now people use it so nicely. So that immediately we leap at that. For instance, anything which is connected to Mother and Shurbindo, half a quote, this quote, any image, anything. So we immediately, um, uh, we are not able to discern then we immediately say, Are, it must be nice. And it can be completely um, take us away in a different direction. For example, recently there was a Yatra of Shurabindo. People were taking out the supramental. What was it? I have forgotten. Everywhere it was like supermind has come and you know, like a Yatra. It was an equivalent of the Rath Yatra, I suppose, but at a much lower scale. <laughs> Now, this is, uh, many people, because it is connected with Madhra and Shubindu, but this is not the way that any spiritual awakening has to take place. So, when we look at it, things from that deeper perspective, we, don't, we are not carried away simply because it bears the stamp of a certain kind. Or for instance, uh, our own family members, we have a natural tendency to uh, you know, prefer them over others and we cannot see their difficulties and challenges and defects just as we cannot see ours. Now, this is not that we have to indulge in criticizing, but one should be able to see things clearly regardless of our personal involvement. And I believe it should begin with oneself. So, this is, but all this is still the lower understanding. Why? Because it still takes the data of the senses. I perceive the outer behavior, the way the person has spoken or the way the person behaves in certain ways and based on that I form an image. I judge and based on that judgment I discern. Now in ordinary life this is important. At least one should be able to uh, do that. A, a good king for example has to know that. But 
the true and there is a higher operation of understanding, the true understanding, which in yogic terms is called as higher buddhi. So higher buddhi is what is turned upwards and inwards to arrive at a kind of right perception, right judgment and right discernment. So who arrives at that? Who is seeking for it? So the data of senses may, may tell you one thing. Oh, that person is very pleasant. He is very nice. He is very kind. Or vis-a-vis, he is very rude. He is very um, unkind. But this higher understanding will be turned within and turned upward to receive the right intuition, the right guidance and the right inspiration. So this is what the Buddha meant when he spoke about right perception, right understanding, right judgment, right discernment. Uh, and he used the word right in a very specific sense. It was not about a surface understanding or a moral judgment of things. So this kind of an um, purified understanding, it has to be purified of the invasion of desires, emotions, mixture of love, hate and opinions. That's a given thing. That's minimum. But it has to take one more step that it has to turn within and upward to receive a higher knowledge and be illumined by something from above. So Shubhinder uses the word that we may say that it is not understanding but overstanding. Because one has to stand over the mind to really receive that understanding. But how does it come? It comes by, now he gives us the clue, concentration and renunciation. So in concentration he uses something very interesting. He says concentration and purification they go together. And then he says, purification is the feminine element and concentration is the masculine. This opened doors to, you know, uh, many layers of understanding. Purity is a feminine element. It, it tends to keep away everything that is uh, like a mixture. Only the feminine element is capable of doing it. And concentration is, is, uses that purity to focus on the one. So you can't, we can't have concentration without purification. But purification without concentration will lead to only a kind of diffuse neutrality. Purification without concentration will lead to peace. Because there is some degree of purification. There is not the mixture, the disturbance. But concentration without purification is an impossibility. Because the mind and the vital will be too distracted. So many times when people say that they cannot concentrate, they have a problem in concentrating. It is simply because uh, there is lack of purity and that's why there is a long period of training in yoga before one can actually concentrate. So this period during which a human being has to practice nishkam karma, seva, all these things are meant to ultimately purify our being so that ultimately when it gets rid of desire the strong stamps complete riddance may be difficult um, emotional strong emotions that clog us then concentration becomes natural that's what the mother said when someone asked her that uh, isn't the number of hours we spend in meditation a sign of spiritual progress she said no on the contrary when meditation becomes natural and you don't feel like emerging out of it because you know now it's going to be dispersion. That is the sign that you have made true progress because there, there is a phase when we don't feel like communicating, we don't feel like mixing with anyone, we don't feel like doing any work. So this is a phase when the mind is getting rid of all those things which made it come alive. 
that rush of things which makes us feel like clapping and yeah and yuppie all that goes away because now we are no more uh, excited or moved by these things so that is how purity helps us and when that stage develops at, at that point the the consciousness can turn in concentration toward the divine so the two go hand in hand so again what are the methods of concentration so there are three basic method that shivinder says the most common is thought must concentrate on any idea name or form which represents to it the divine so of course the best idea is divine is in all all is the divine and all is in the divine but it's difficult to conceive that idea so there comes name ma <laughs> so this <laughs> or a form that becomes very easy so idea name and form are the classical ways with with which we concentrate upon the eternal and that highest self till finally by the power of concentration the truth which is held within itself is released so we may not initially understand difficult to conceive that divine is in all so when we start the concentration we literally try to image that there is mother here mother there little little many mothers are there and it is perfectly fine but a time comes when there is a unity of experience it's no more a separate mother here a separate mother here but <laughs> one mother who in various ways is expressing herself that the vishrup darshan of shri krishna arjun doesn't see you know shri krishna in all these being she sees all in krishna so that's the second level and in which we begin to see uh, that we begin to realize that upon which our thought is concentrated but then concentration of thought is not enough the will must be concentrated towards uh, the one object of fulfilling the divine will in the universe and through that we come in contact with the divine master of works but that's what the yoga of divine works is about and the heart must be concentrated on the eternal lover and beloved then we have the complete sachidananda and entry into that sachidananda Uh, consciousness but since he is speaking of uh, right now as distinct paths so he is showing us one by one uh, for instance when those who approach through knowledge how exactly they go and how we must go so this concentration should not be an exclusive concentration except for uh, some moments means some years somebody may want or some months someone may want to do exclusive concentration the reason is that when we concentrate exclusively upon that self a time comes when suddenly we can get absorbed and united in it that's what is known as samadhi and then it becomes very difficult to get back to the world whereas in our concentration in this yoga one has to concentrate on the divine presence in all things so that even when we are being taken up we start simultaneously experiencing the divine self taking up all beings and revealing himself in all so this is the kind of method of concentration not only in um, within us but in every activity in every relationship uh, so relationship is very difficult so let's talk only of activity so one of the simple elementary ways of practicing concentration is whatever work we are doing and we see how practically mother has taught all this year in the ashram context first no money involved so when you are doing work all that strong desired self goes away no position 
you may think you may try that i want to sit on that chair after some time you will realize it's not worth it so again ambition is gone so why do you work we want to serve the divine but then all that is hidden inside will come through and start getting purified and whatever activity we are doing we have to concentrate exclusively on that we also realize that our ideas thoughts opinions don't really matter what matters to us is the field given to us so this also if one faithfully follows this path one will realize because each one is given a certain task one has to work upon that i cannot um, start fighting how the medical department should run that's not given to me and if i start doing it i am actually uh, moving away from the yoga of integral knowledge i i i would know how it should work but my focus of concentration should be to manifest the divine in my actions through whatever is given to me so this way slowly when we see the ashram life is organized in such a way and that's why there was a time when one of the things people used to insist and uh, i have also seen it when i was working in um, marbling department uh, then many stories i heard like that which is so helpful that when you are doing work in an ashram department focus only on the work your consciousness should be concentrated on the work it's a very difficult thing in manual work it's possible but when you are doing an intellectual work it becomes difficult and the mind has a natural tendency especially when there is nothing so of course um, i have a habit of reading so it helps me a lot but i was told no 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 you should not even read that i didn't listen because i said this i enjoy reading and i'm sure the lord will understand <laughs> sitting on the counter doing nothing so read something or the other and i have found this one of the best ways to spend time uh, rather than gossiping rather than you know discussing all kinds of things uh, you know playing whatsapp things um, on and off so this is how the consciousness learns to get concentrated in fact reading mother and shubhendu's writings is one of the best ways to practice concentration which leads us towards knowledge love self discovery everything so uh, anyways so this concentration uh, third way of concentration is where we just become uh, a witness to everything without giving consent to anything we eventually there is a kind of stillness and silence that falls upon all the members in that stillness and silence the object of knowledge which is the divine self that begins to reflect itself in savitri we have those lines that you know how when the mind is quiet hushed then stilled um, then there is the reflection of the unmanifest as in a glass so this is the third method the fourth is contemplation where we take up one idea let us say the idea of divine is love and then we just let this idea explode into 100 million ways every aspect of love uh, with all its many personality this is how chaitanya mahaprabhu actually you know his love was not just the way we have made him today but all the divine manifestations of love if you look at shri krishna's life love in him is not just about ras lila that is one aspect kurukshetra is also love so then all the manifestations of love begin to appear all its subtle shades gratitude compassion kindness even strength all these are manifestations of divine love so to realize it in the heart and in the self is uh, uh, 
uh, another way of concentration. So when we do that, and of course, as the mother has said, it's not only during exclusive moments that is required, but also when we are dealing with life and world in every situation. So along with concentration, another thing that is allied is renunciation. So Shubhendra speaks of them as the left and the right hand of yoga. Just as purity and concentration are the feminine and masculine aspect, renunciation and concentration are the left and the right arm. So without renunciation, again, concentration becomes difficult because when we are sitting, we'll be thinking of hundred things to which we are tied. But what is this renunciation that Shurabindu describes very beautifully and at great length and maybe that is something we can read today. Hmm. How far shall this renunci- renunciation is an indispensable instrument of our perfection? How far shall this renunciation go? What shall be its nature and in what way shall it be applied? There is an established tradition long favored by great religious teachings and by men of profound spiritual experience that renunciation must not only be complete as a discipline but definite and final as an end and that it should it shall fall nothing short of the renunciation of life itself and of our mundane existence. So obviously uh, Shubhindu doesn't uh, agree to that. Uh, because it's not agreeable to his own self-experience. Because if divine wanted that kind of renunciation, he would not create a world. Because if he created a world where we are trapped forever, then by logic he made a mistake, you know, whatever it be. <laughs> but what we have to renounce is all this surface vision of things. Again, once again, the desire self, the ego, these are the knots of the difficulty. What we have to renounce is fear, ambition, lust, all this uh, viruses through which we are operating with the world. This is what we have to renounce. Self-will in works. This is what we have to renounce. So, this is a very powerful passage and it directly answers <clears throat> that why many people renounce uh, this world completely is because you know they are either disgusted or they are disappointed, they shrink from the struggle or they are baffled by the great cosmic labor and then he labels it as the selfishness that cures, that cares not what becomes of those left behind us. So long as we personally can be free from the monstrous ever-circling wheel of death and rebirth, the indifference to the cry that rises up from a laboring humanity. So this kind of renunciation which seeks personal mukti in some beyond so that one doesn't have to come back into the cycle of rebirth is evidently at its highest a selfish thing, at its lowest a cowardice and a you know a, a sign of weakness, something which is seeking um, an escape because the struggle is too much for one to bear. So this is how Shubhendu, uh, in the line of the great teachings of Sri Krishna and the ancient Vedic lore. Uh, puts renunciation in its place. But renunciation is necessary as part of yoga. So here comes uh, what he has to say. For the sadhak of an integral yoga, none of these reasons are valid. That the struggle is too much and you know, it's baffling and you know, it's full of suffering, sorrow, misery. 
with weakness and selfishness however spiritual in their guise or trend he can have no dealings very clearly a divine strength and courage and a divine compassion and helpfulness are the very stuff of that which he would be they are that very nature of the divine which he would take upon himself as a robe of spiritual life and beauty so we don't wear the sanyasi's robe we wear the robe of the divine and what is that robe the robe of compassion the robe of strength the robe of wisdom and with that robe one goes into the world the revolvings of the great wheel bring to him no sense of terror or giddiness he rises above it in his soul and knows from above the divine law and the divine purpose so there are no shortcuts easy to do trenchant solutions you have to go through that challenge of life this is something which shubindo reminds us again and again the difficulty of harmonizing the divine life with human living of being in god and yet living in man is the very difficulty that he is set here to solve and not to shun he doesn't allow us those shortcut he has learned that the joy the peace and the deliverance are an imperfect crown and no real possession if they do not form a state secure in itself inalienable to the soul not dependent on aloofness and inaction but firm in the storm and the race and the battle unsullied whether by the joy of the world or by its suffering so very beautifully he has he reminds us the true peace true realization is that in every situation and circumstance of the world one can stay within so sometime when people often take a great pride that i have never gone out for the you know past 40 years 50 years it may equally be the sign of an inadequacy not necessarily but it may be the sign of that so one should understand that why one is doing that is important is it because the moment you go out you cannot bear the impact of the world and you shrink from it or is it because that's how it is and that's the will in you of the divine in you so there are two very different things the will of the divine in somebody may be that be at one place do whatever is given and that's it the will of the divine in someone else may be to go around the world so as is the will but not because of either a helpless shrinking or because one is afraid of meeting the challenges of life personal salvation he does not seek except as a necessity for the human fulfillment and because he who is himself in bonds cannot easily free others but look at shubindo's sometimes qualifications one who is in bonds cannot easily free others though to god nothing is impossible why because somebody may be in bonds but another person may turn to that person thinking that he is uh, like a divine messenger or whatever representative and even if the person is not full of defects yet the divine can work through and uh, act so this is what he reminds that the divine is not limited by our own conceptions and ideas for a heaven of personal joys he has no hankerings even as a hell of personal sufferings has for him no terrors if there is an opposition between the spiritual life and that of the world it is that gulf which is here to bridge that opposition which he is here to change into harmony if the world is ruled by the flesh and the devil 
all the more reason that the children of immortality should be here to conquer it for God and the Spirit. If life is an insanity, then there are so many million souls to whom there must be brought the light of divine reason. If a dream, yet is it real within itself to so many dreamers who must be brought either to dream nobler dreams or to awaken, or if a lie, then the truth has to be given to the deluded. Nor if it be said that only by the luminous example of escape from the world can be helped the world, shall we accept that dogma, since the contrary example of great avatars is there, to show that not only by rejecting the life of the world as it is can we help, but also and more by accepting and uplifting it. So this is what Sri puts it as uh, the ideal of renunciation. And there is a very uh, interesting passage which we can of course he says what is important here is again our renunciation must obviously be an inward renunciation especially and above all a renunciation of attachment and the craving of desire in the senses and the heart now you know these are all words which can be completely uh, there are people who are completely indifferent It's not that they are detached, but they are too much living for their own little good. So anything that they find difficult or, you know, they don't like someone, they walk away and that's not detachment. He's speaking of detachment from the desired self. Am I relating with someone only to satisfy or fulfill my desire? And if that is not fulfilled, if that is frustrated, do I turn away disappointed? So these are very subtle things he's pointing out. And he's pointing out the three knots for these things are the three knots by which we are bound to a lower nature. What are these knots? Craving of the desire in the senses and the heart. The emotional hunger and the sensuous hunger. Of self-will in the thought and action. Things must be done my way. It must happen the way I believe they should happen. Recently someone had sent a message that he went to a center and certain things uh, he saw. He said, should it, uh, why are they, do- I have forgotten also what was the question. <laughs> but it was a genuine question people feel that, you know, should it be done Re- recently, for example, Darshan Day cards, you know. So many of us feel that it should have been given. I also believe it should continue. It's something very beautiful. Uh, people take it as a gift from mother. It's not about a person giving it and But nevertheless, at the same time, if it doesn't happen the way I believe it should happen, I should not be troubled or disturbed by it. So this is what is called a self-willing thought. It's not that I don't have my own understanding as I have received it from the Master. But at the same time, I do not put self-will in thought and action. That's what he's saying. That it must happen the way I want it to happen. So there he speaks of self-will in the thought and action. So this where we have to be careful. And of egoism in the center of the consciousness. So these three things have to be renounced and renounced thoroughly, expelled. Desire self in the heart and the senses. Meaning thereby the craving of the heart for someone, some companion, somebody with whom uh, and in the senses which crave all this sexual um, lust, um, all this that comes in the senses which long for some kind of a pleasure or some kind of a joy. This has to be removed. 
then of self will in thought and action meaning thereby uh, i have my understanding about things but things should happen that way no i i must renounce that part they happen the way they have to happen there is a deeper wisdom will and uh, i have to look at it i may act but only under a divine impulsion which means there would no more be vehemence that uh, you know the typical example is um, jugalda was sharing this with me once that you know he would hear often the two great stalwarts <laughs> great friends who would speak loudly near the samadhi well they were hard of hearing <laughs> so you can and when they said they used the word shurbindu it was very beautiful but nevertheless uh, they would sometimes speak loudly and we all have heard sitting in the courtyard suddenly two of them are speaking so he at one point uh, asked the mother mother what should i do because it becomes a little difficult uh, i feel like telling them should i tell them she said well if you <laughs> if you tell them <laughs> they may progress if you don't tell them you will progress <laughs> <laughs> then she said but maybe you can tell them once so you see the difference you tell them once but there is when there is a vehemence when that is not listened you feel frustrated inside you feel unhappy see they are so such foolish people they don't understand that is where the self will in thought and action is coming that has to be renounced not that jugalda is wrong in that we should not speak at the samadhi that's a rule for you but if you start uh, you know <laughs> asking everybody to shut up unless it's your duty there also it should be done nicely sometimes is overdone with all these chutkis and all that but that apart <laughs> so that's a different dimension altogether but basically self will in thought and action and this is a big problem very often i have seen because in any collective work invariably it comes things should be this way and if they don't happen this way the mind gets troubled and third is egoism in the center of the consciousness i am i did this i had given this suggestion i wanted it this way and always to prove that you know there is a sense of superiority they are woven in the very strand of a nature they don't go so easily so every time they emerge one has to chase them out of every liar they are hiding here there everywhere and they will emerge time to time like when you have tackled the big pythons the small little snakes they will come and every time you see you have to send them away so uh, these are the three knots therefore attachment and desire must be utterly cast out there is nothing in the world to which we must be attached nor not wealth nor poverty so <laughs> nor joy nor suffering nor life nor death that's why the mother says we should not want death and suffering but if it comes we face face it with equanimity nor greatness nor littleness that also be no 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 we we don't do this as if you are feeling great about being little so neither if the divine gives you greatness it is the divine's glory if he puts you in that small little corner like a little squirrel that's also his glory so neither we we must seek nor vice nor virtue wise is understandable but to appear virtuous in the eyes of people nor friend 
nor wife, nor children, nor country, nor our work and mission, nor heaven, nor earth, nor all that is within them or beyond them. None of this one should be attached to. And this does not mean that there is nothing at all that we shall love. <laughs> Immediately, ah, very good. Now I am a free man. <laughs> not so soon. Nothing in which we shall take delight. For attachment is egoism in love and not love itself. So he clarifies it. <laughs> Otherwise people say, oh, very nice. Now I can live my life whichever way I want. He says attachment is egoism in love. Not love. Desire is limitation and insecurity in a hunger for pleasure and satisfaction. And not the seeking after the divine delight in things. A universal love we must have. Calm and yet eternally intense beyond the brief vehemence of the most violent passion. And then he speaks about self-will in thought and action. And finally, very beautiful example. How this egoism uh, very subtly takes hold of us. The influence of the environment works often with great subtlety. We prefer and put on almost unconsciously the garb which will look best in the eye that regards us from outside. And we allow a veil to drop over the eye within. So I must wear white. Preferably, you know, either a very simple pajama and shirt because that is what we believe that will impress others. If you wear nice, cool jeans, not that one has to wear this or that, but it is a very subtle thing. So he is reminding us, we prefer and put on almost unconsciously the garb which will look best in the eye that regards us from outside and we allow a veil to drop over the eye within. We are impelled to drape ourselves in the vow of poverty or in the vow or in the garb of service or in outward proofs of indifference and renunciation and a spotless sainthood because that is what tradition and opinion demand of us. And so we can make best an impression on our environment. Spotless sainthood. So all this reminds us that all this is vanity and delusion. <laughs> the real sign is inside. And then uh, he gives uh, the example of the Gita. And then this example with which. Or the Gita tells Arjuna. That all this delusion, what you are trying to do, you fight and conquer. Or to take another example from ancient Indian tradition. It was egoism, it would seem, that drove Rama, the avatar, to raise an army and destroy a nation in order to recover his wife from the king of Lanka. But would it have been, but would it have been a lesser egoism to drape himself in indifference? And misusing the formal terms of the knowledge, misusing the formal terms of the knowledge to say, <laughs> I have no wife, <laughs> no enemy, no desire. These are illusions of the senses. 
let me cultivate the brahman knowledge and let ravana do what he will with the daughter of janak so shubhinda is thoroughly laying thread bare every little hole in which all these things you know that's why spiritual egoism is so difficult to dislodge why because uh, you hardly meet somebody who can challenge you and tell you that uh, what you are saying is see that's the beauty when people criticize shurbindo you see how his response is there are hundreds of letters on savitri and the way he responds he doesn't say hey you don't know he is child i have studied in cambridge what is he going to teach me nothing he's very very beautifully systematically and uh, that's the way you know one has to outgrow that little smallness the criteria is within as the gita insists it is to have the soul free from craving and attachment but free from the attachment to inaction as well as from the egoistic impulse to action free from attachment to the forms of virtue as well as from the attraction to sin it is to get rid of iness and minus so as to live in the oneself so this is what uh, and this is important because uh, before we talk of all this inner concentration meditation purification they are all difficult process but this renunciation of the desired self of attachment egoistic at- and the sense of egoism are one immediately doable things along with that not to identify with the lower movements of nature and the third thing is to concentrate on the divine through whatever form name or image that comes to us whatever idea that comes to us not to mistake book knowledge as the true spiritual knowledge so book knowledge prepares a base because it gives to the mind a conception and the mind works like that it needs some kind of a conception but to mistake that as the true authentic realization of the self so all this are the take home points from the yoga of integral knowledge and not to stop till one has not only realized the self within but the self as the cosmic self the transcendent self the self in the becoming and all things as an expression of the one sachidananda either distorted in the manifestation more revealed less revealed more distorted less distorted and then the will to change it not according to our mental conception but according to the will of the divine within us and in the world namaste